It says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. When the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. It says, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. Some of your scripture might say they welcomed him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land which they were going. If you're joining us this morning, we're right in the middle of our series called This is Jesus, talking about who was and is Jesus Christ. And I think that's so important as we lead up to Easter to talk about who is Jesus. And I think it opens our mind and begins to unlock our understanding about who is Jesus. And if I, if I want to be honest, I was praying about it, working on this message all night or all week. And then uh, I got to last night, I was looking over it and praying over it again. And I could just feel like coming up against a wall a little bit. And I feel like the Lord saying, you throw all that out and you just start over. And so um, I just prayed and sought the Lord last night. And I believe that God wants to speak a word to you this morning. And I hope you're encouraged by it. Uh, because it cost me sleep, and so I wanted to bring you encouragement. Uh, and, and I believe this is what the Lord is speaking, even out of John's short uh, account. Now, there's other Matthew uh, 14 talks about this, Mark 6 talks about this, but John 6 gives a short account, and here's what I believe that God wants to say to you this morning through this, and it's this. The impossible is possible with Jesus. This is what I believe you're here to hear this morning. And so don't tune me out. Allow the Lord to keep your heart soft. Hear me say the impossible is possible with Jesus. How many of you guys have ever been in a really bad storm? Raise your hand. We're going to do some involvement here. How many have been in a bad storm? How many of you have ever been in a storm so bad you thought, I might die? Well, that's a shocking percentage. <laughs> I, I I remember uh, growing up in Washington, and we get some bad storms. They knock trees over and rip power lines out and flood things. And um, we lived on a hill, so I guess it wasn't that bad. But uh, I remember thinking, like, wow, this is really bad. Uh, and I think I thought I understood what a storm was until I moved to Arizona. And in Arizona, it feels like the sky is punishing the earth. Like, <laughs> like the earth somehow said something about its family, and so it has decided just to unleash itself upon it. And it's like... People are like, yeah, mon monsoons, and, you know, they're going to come. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, I know rain. I'm from Seattle, blah, 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 all this stuff that I now know. And when people hear it, I go, sure you do. And the sky literally just tries to destroy the earth with the most, it's, nature is so metal. And it, it, it rains harder than you've ever seen, and then it floods. And then, actually, hold on, let's go back before that, why not? There's a wall of sand that comes, I don't know from hell, who knows where it comes from, it emerges and just blows in front, and after the wall of sand comes, then the wall of water comes, and then more winds, and then things break, and palm trees rain, but don't worry, it's still 100 degrees, so at least we have that, right, <laughs> and then when it's done, you might get that little splattering of hail that can, like, kill animals, it's so strong, like, it was the, this last year in the monsoons, I thought, I, I don't know if my house is going to make it. And then you're watching the news and you see it just destroy everything. I feel like nothing, I don't know if you guys have ever been on a boat during a storm, but nothing will make you feel smaller in the world than a storm. Right, like a tree that if you ran your car into wouldn't move, a storm can break in half in about four and a half seconds. 
there's just something powerful and angry and intense about a storm. And, and I think big storms teach us one thing is that we, we control very little and we have power over very little. Is that storms are so big and they make us feel small. You know, I have a friend who's like, the government, man, is controlling the storms. Well, they're not doing a very good job. <laughs> it keeps destroying everything. All the, all the uh, conspiracy theorists just perked up. We'll talk about it later, guys. <laughs> but if I asked you to go out in a monsoon, if there was a monsoon that came and I said, oh, my gosh, you know what? This is really going to mess up um, our picnic, our park day. Uh, can you go out there and just tell it to hush down? You would look at me like I was crazy. Or you'd feel really empowered depending on who you are. But it would be impossible to imagine going out and just telling a storm, telling a, a monsoon, hey, 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 shh. It would be considered absolutely out of line with understanding. It would be considered absolutely impossible. And the reason I love this story is because Jesus shows us time and time again that the impossible is possible with Jesus. Right, that the impossible is possible through Jesus, by Jesus, because of Jesus, because I think what will is possible. And so I want to expand on John's account a little bit here because I think when we read this account, it's like it's, it's really just a couple verses. It's five verses. It sounds neat. Jesus walked on water. There was a storm. There was things going on. And so we can gloss on and move. But I believe that the reason John is recording these miracles is to show us that God is real and that the impossible is possible through him. Amen. And so this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open this up a little bit. We're going to kind of go on a journey of looking at what Jesus is trying to show us here. Good. Are you with me? Good. Awesome. Um, let's look at John 6, 16. So when, when we look at the beginning of this verse, it says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. And, and it sounds simple enough because it sounds like his disciples just didn't check the weather and went out on a boat by themselves. Right? It sounds like disobedience. Like, oh, you know, they went out, they didn't pay attention, they didn't check the weather app, they went out on the boat, and now they got, you know, they got too cocky in their own fishing ability, and they got caught out. But when we look at Mark 6.45, we see something different. It says this, uh, the word should be on the screen, it says, immediately he made his disciples get in the boat. He made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while, the, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. So follow me. The disciples were following the will of God. They were obeying Jesus. So often we think, if, if I'm facing a storm, then I must just be in the wrong place. Or this must be a consequence. Now, sometimes you make your own storms. You kick up enough dust, you'll get your own haboob. But I'm just saying, most storms don't come because of that. And you can be walking in the will of God in the right path. But sometimes we think, like, oh, if a storm comes, I must, must not be in the will of God. And I want you to hear me say, facing opposition does not mean you're living in opposition. Follow me. Just because you're facing opposition to where you feel like God has called you to go or called you to do or the will or the promise for your life, just because you're facing an opposition doesn't mean that you're living in opposition to, into God, right? Are you with me? All right. I'm just going to have Janet just keep turning it down colder and colder. But if you're facing opposition, it does not mean that you're living in opposition. And I think uh, sometimes as a church, we can begin to think about people that are in the fight for their life that they must be living in rebellion. But not all wars are a rebellion. 
right? There's people around you, and you might be one of these people that's fighting for their life in opposition that's still trying to pursue the will of God. Has anyone ever been there? Where, you're fight, where you are up against a storm that was not planned, that's not because of disobedience, that's not because you didn't do what Jesus said, God, because you're now facing things in opposition to where God's called you to go and what God has called you to face. And church, we got to get it out of our heads that if somebody in our church is fighting for their life, that they're in rebellion. We got to support and encourage and empower. Because what we see in the disciples is they're following the will of God, and yet they're facing opposition. John 16, says, in this world you will have trouble. Some say tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. The first part's a promise. In this world you will have trouble. Jesus says, you live in a broken world. You live in a world with storms, both literally and figuratively. And you will encounter them. You will have trouble, but not all battles are rebellions, and not all storms are man-made. A lot of them are things that you will face in opposition. I'm not saying that if you follow Christ, it's just like opening up. Now, now you're just going to come under attack your whole life. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that there are storms in this world that you're going to have, have to face. I think we've all faced some kind of storm, right? No one here is, is free from ever having face a, facing a storm, right? And the reality is especially if God's given you a vision, a mission, a purpose for your life, a plan for your life, you're going to face storms. But this is the crazy thing. If you stay home and lock yourself in your house, you can still get the roof ripped off. So it doesn't matter. If you're living on mission, you're going to face a storm. If you're hiding in your home, you're going to face a storm. Either way, what Jesus shows us is that storms are inevitable. Storms are going to happen. You're going to face them. And so the question is, how do you want to face them? It's not if, it's, it's how. How do you want to face the storm? If you're facing a storm this morning, I want to I encourage you because probably the most universal thing uh, in a church is that it's full of people who have all faced storms, right? It's the person sitting next to you has faced a storm in their life, right? The person to your right, the person to your left, the person that should be on the empty face, but they want a vacation anyways, even them. We've all faced storms. We've all faced things, and they're different things, varying degrees. Some are monsoons, some are hurricanes, some are a drizzle. But we should be, I want you to be encouraged today that what Jesus is showing the disciples is still true in your life and true when you face a storm. The disciples are facing a storm they did not choose. Don't feel ashamed because you face a storm. Don't feel like you're in rebellion because you face a storm. If you face a storm in opposition, here's what I want you to show you to do. Let's keep going. 618, it says this, the sea became rough. Because a strong wind was blowing. That to me is like the greatest oversimplification of a term. The sea became rough because it was blowing. Let me tell you, I'm, I got a picture up here. I think it's back there. Let me just explain a little bit of the Sea of Galilee for you. Can we do that? Good. Thank you, Gianna. So here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is uh, in northern Israel, and it's 700 uh, feet below sea level. And this is on one side, and you can see on the other side really large cliffs, cliffs that go up to 1,400 feet above sea level. Now, the thing about this lake is it's about uh, eight miles wide, but you can see every shore from every shore, basically. So when it says Jesus saw, like he literally saw them. Like, see that boat 
Like, I can, we can see that. It's a little speck. It's a little grainy, but you understand what I'm saying. And so these cliffs that are on the, on the edge, what you have is around the lake, you have a tropical climate because of water. And so you have, you have a denser, you have, uh, lack of better words, moist air. And then up at, four, at 1,400 feet above sea level, upwards of 2,500 up in Goshen, you have dry, arid air. And so what happens is that the dry air comes down over the cliffs, goes a couple thousand feet as fast as air goes, and whips down into the lake and stirs it up. And so this was a common occurrence that would happen on the Sea of Galilee. It's like, it's not like a, like a light, like a, it's not wind. It's that this lake is only 200 feet deep, which isn't super deep. It's not a very big lake, but it's getting like gale force winds whipping and stirring up the waters. And so even though it's a small thing, even though maybe they've crossed it before, they faced it before, what they're encountering is more than just a strong or a, or a light wind. They're encountering a true storm. They're no longer sailing at this point because they're going east. The wind is coming from the east, and I'm not a great sailor, but if you put up a sail against the wind, you're not going to go that way. You're going to go backwards. And so now they're rowing. And what it says in John 6, 19 is it says, when they had rowed about three or four miles. So if the lake is eight miles, this, we'll, we'll do like the intro math. The lake is eight miles and they've rowed four miles. How far do they still have to go? Four miles. So they've gone halfway. <laughs> halfway across the lake in the middle of a storm. And in fact, uh, it says in uh, Mark 6, 48, it says, And when he, Jesus, saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night he came to them. The fourth watch, that's about 3 to 6 a.m. So let me put it in perspective. They've traveled about four miles halfway in about eight hours of rowing. So they've been rowing. To keep going forward, to not go backwards for eight hours. How, how many of you have ever rowed a boat before? Good. All six. Oh, actually, that's a lot. Good. All right. Fire them again. How many of you rowed a boat before? Good. Now imagine rowing a boat for eight hours into the wind, right? You're like, heck no. I'm swimming. You know, right? All of a sudden, the whole thing with Peter and Matthew starts to make sense. He's like, I'm just going to get out of here, guys. I'm over this. Like, I'd rather die. <laughs> He's dramatic. I'm dramatic. I get him. Um, but they're rowing for eight hours, and they've only gotten halfway. And, and I think about this as I hear the disciples are good to follow the command of Jesus. Right? They encounter a storm. They do. I feel like what, what good disciples of Jesus do, like, no, he told us to cross the lake. We're going to cross the lake. Eight hours later, they're like, we're not crossing this stupid lake. We've been in the middle. For six, eight, who knows how long hours we're stuck, we're rowing, we're not making any headway, we're going against it. Has anyone ever felt this way? Have you ever worked really hard but gotten nowhere? Have you ever worked really hard what you believed was the direction of Jesus and still felt stuck? I think about that a lot. I get into the boat. At the command, we start rowing, things are going good, but all of a sudden, I encounter a storm. So then I 
keep rowing because I'm tenacious. And the pastor said, don't give up on your dream. And so I'm just still rowing, and I'm still rowing. And then we did the Dreamer series, like, well, I can't quit now because now they got shirts. And then I'm still rowing, and I'm still going, and I'm going. And now I'm, I'm, one of my arms is dead, so I'm just going around in circles eventually, going absolutely nowhere. And I, and I begin to get frustrated, and I start asking questions like this. Did I hear Jesus right? Right? Like, why would Jesus send me to do something that seems so futile and ridiculous? Why would Jesus send me across here if he's all-knowing and he knew there would be a storm? Why didn't he send me on the roundabout way? I could have walked around this lake in eight hours. Why am I going this way? The other question I think I would have asked too is, where is Jesus? We're all rowing. Brother is up on a hill. He left us here. Where, where is Jesus? And I think that that is such being stuck, being trapped, being in a storm, I feel like is such an identifiable feeling that they would have felt that we would feel is that that feeling when you realize you aren't even close to where you feel like you're supposed to be, but you've been working and working and working and working and working and working, but you're not even close. You're halfway, maybe not even halfway. And all of a sudden, you begin to feel things. You begin to, to feel shame. You begin to feel like, man, I don't even want to go to church because I don't want people to ask me about how my dream is going because I'm not any closer. And then i got to tell them that i got to feel bad. Then they're going to prayer circle around me. And I, don't, I just I can't deal with it. Just me. But I, I feel like we, we can get frustrated. We can get confused. We start doubting. Was that God's voice or was that me telling, telling, did I think go cross the lake? Did he really say don't cross the lake and I misheard him? Should we circle back around? Is there somebody on this boat that, that's, that's cursed us with their negative behavior? We just got to push him out. of You know, like you start thinking the craziest things when you get stuck. You know, what if we just got a different boat? If I could get into a different boat with a different group of people, then we could make it across. Those people actually know how to row. These people don't know how to row. Have you seen Peter? row, it's, it's absolutely crazy. He keeps trying to jump out every five seconds. It's, it's like if I could get in another boat, then we could get there. But now I'm just frustrated. I'm confused. I'm not where I want to be in my life. I'm not where I want to be in my career. I'm not where I want, I, I believe that God's called our family, but we're not there. And in fact, not only are we not even there, we're not even halfway there. But we've been working and working and working, but we just feel stuck. Can I tell you, if you've ever felt this way, here's good news for you. It's the same news for the disciples. When they felt the most stuck, that's exactly when Jesus showed up. John 6, 19 says, it says, when they rode about three or four miles, we know six or eight hours of rowing and frustration and confusion. It says, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. Why were they frightened? Because it's absolutely impossible. Right? Like we're like, oh man, they're so scared. That's so funny. They thought it was a ghost. I guarantee you if you were on a boat and somebody walked up to you on the boat, you would freak out. Because that's impossible. That is absolutely impossible. Not only is it impossible just to flat out walk on water. But to walk on water in a storm that is so strong. Mind you, he walked four miles. Some of us haven't run four miles. He walked four miles on water in the middle of a storm that was so severe that 12 guys in a boat could not row their way out of it. 
And here comes Jesus walking near the boat, and they see him, and they call out for him. I love that about Jesus because some of you are in situations where you feel so far from the shore, so distant from Jesus, so trapped, so rowing, 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 going nowhere that it feels absolutely impossible that Jesus could find you, see you, meet you, or be near you where you're at. But let me tell you, the impossible is possible with Jesus. The impossible is possible with Jesus. You might say there is no way Jesus can reach us. And I'm saying, good, I am glad that you are here this morning so that you can hear John 6. Because this, I didn't do this. I didn't walk on water. I didn't die for your sins. I didn't defeat death, hell, and the grave. I didn't rise again with the keys to life. With I'm not the healer. Jesus is. And Jesus is trying to tell you this morning the impossible is possible through Jesus. There's no storm so great that Jesus cannot get to you. Now they're in a storm. They are frustrated. They are confused. But there's no night too dark. There's no wave too big. There's no distance too far. There's no thing too complicated. There's nothing about nature that's too great. There's no chemical composition that he can't just walk across. There's nothing that can separate Jesus because the impossible is possible through Jesus. I believe that. And I stand on that and I look at the scripture and I go back to this and I was praying last night and I believe, I, I just kept praying this phrase, that Jesus' power is greater than your problem. By problem I mean the deep thing that you're facing, that you're fighting, that you're going up against. I believe that Jesus' power is greater than the problem. John 16, 20 says, but he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Mark actually adds, in Mark 6, adds a little portion in front of there. He says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. I like that. See, when Jesus actually says, it is I, he's saying, and again, I, I, I'm bad at this language, so give me a break. I barely know English. It says, ego emi, which means I am him or I am. Right, he's establishing his authority in the name of God. He's saying, take heart, not because I got here, not because you think I'm neat, not because I'm a, I'm a nice teacher, not because, you know, take heart because I am God. See, right, we take heart in Jesus, not because he said some neat stuff or we can, like, put his picture up in the Christian bookstore or your grandma's house. Like, we, we take heart in Jesus because he has power and authority that he can walk on water. So when the storm you're facing is bigger than your boat, it's not bigger than God. See, most of our life is spent building bigger boats, right? I got to build a bigger bank account so I can weather the storm. I got to build a, a, a better uh, health insurance plan. I got to, you know, I gotta, I mean, all these things are good. I have these things. I got to build a bigger friend group. I got to build a better relationship. I got to build these different things. But the storm comes and the storm is bigger than your boat. A bigger boat is just harder to row. And, 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 and my, when Jesus comes, he says, hey, listen, listen, listen. The storm might be bigger than your boat, but it's not bigger than me. It's not greater than me. I'm, I was there when they made the waters. I was there. And I love that Jesus says, take heart because your problem is not greater than my power. John 16, he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Somebody say overcome. Come on, in school. Now come. Overcome, like we mean it. 
I know, I know in our life we were taught in school not to like talk or move. And then in theaters, if you talk or move, you get in trouble. But church is like the one place where you can talk and move and it's okay. I won't, no one will judge you. Amen. Amen. You can make some noise. You can get excited about it. It's okay. But I love this overcome. It says I've overcome the world. What does he mean by the world? Sickness, I've overcome. Death, I've overcome. Anxiety, I've overcome. Addiction, I've overcome. Depression, I've already overcome. You, you might feel like you have not overcome it, but I have already overcome it. Some of you are in the middle of a storm this morning, and Jesus is trying to say to you, take heart, for I have overcome. Your problems are not greater than Jesus. Did you know when you bring your problems to Jesus, they do not repel him. They do not defeat him. They do not discourage him. They do not, when you bring your sorrow, your frustration, your concern, your confusion, when you cry out to Jesus, they thought he was a ghost. It didn't even phase him. Like, it, it does not throw Jesus off his game when you bring the brutal reality of the condition of your soul at his feet. He loves you. He accepts you. He welcomes you. And he has overcome See, only Jesus can bring peace into the heart of a storm. You can be totally surrounded by the complete power that is out of your hands and out of your control. And yet when Jesus comes in, he can bring absolute peace. Absolute peace into your heart. Because why? Why? Because Jesus has overcome the world. I'm going to say it again so that you hear me. Jesus has overcome the world. It's important. Tell somebody next to you, Jesus has overcome. Oh, man, tell him like he actually died for your sins and not kind of died for half of them. Jesus is overcome. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's good. I think that's powerful is that when we remind ourselves if Jesus is overcome and Christ is with me, in me, through me, then I have overcome. Right? That, that Jesus and by his, but not by my power. I've seen my power. It does not go very far. It's not even renewable energy. But by not Christ's power, he has overcome. By Jesus' power, he's overcome. And not only, I love this, not only does it bring peace to the hearts when he says, take hearts, it's I. Not only does it bring peace to the heart, but it brings peace to the situation. It goes further because the impossible is possible with Jesus. Here's what it says, John 16, 21. It says, they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. I like Mark 6, 51. It says this, same story. Just expounding the detail, it says, and he, Jesus, got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. When Jesus gets in the boat, everything changes. See, this is what I love about Jesus, is he calms the storm inside and out. I love that. See, he doesn't leave you in turmoil inside and just calm out. He, he wants to do both. I, I believe that. He wants to calm both inside and outside. See, they've been fighting the storm in nature for eight hours, but also in their heart for eight hours. The frustration, the concern, the fear, the anguish, the things that, the feeling like this is futile, this is a waste. Why am I doing this? I'm overwhelmed. But when Jesus comes in, there's something powerful because he brings a peace inside of your heart that defies the situation that's surrounding you. Right? There's a peace that he brings in inside of you that is greater than the storm that's kind of coming against you. We sing a song, it might look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. 
right? Meaning that I, I might see this, cra- this storm that is totally beyond my control, and yet what's wrapping me up in the arms of peace and rest is Jesus Christ. What, what's surrounding me is grief. What's wrapping me up is Jesus and comfort. What's surrounding me is overwhelming health issues. What's wrapping me up is the hope of Jesus Christ and the restored promise of my life. What's surrounding me is the disunity of my family and disruption, but what's wrapping me up is the unity of the Holy Spirit and speaking back the promises of my life. Jesus calms the storm inside and outside. But they live something powerful. It says they welcomed him in. They invited him in. Different translations talk about how they, they literally asked him now to come into the boat. Like, hey, man, get in the boat. There's something powerful when Jesus comes in. Because not only were, were the disciples inviting him in, but the disciples were getting into the presence of Jesus. See, we do all the work. We do all the rowing, and then we invite Jesus in. Right? I wonder what would have happened if they had just called on Jesus from like the very beginning. Like we don't know. But what if we, instead of rowing and rowing and rowing, what if we just invite Jesus from the beginning? When we say, Jesus, we need you in the boat. Like when, when, when you're near, when you draw near, I, I need you in the boat. I need you with me. In fact, you know what, why don't we just like never leave each other's sides. We'll just, <laughs> we'll just stay close the whole time because I need you with me. I need you walking with me because I need you not only to calm the storm of my situation, I need you to calm the storm of my soul. And I love the progression of Jesus that we see time and time again is when Jesus encounters, when you have an encounter with Jesus, he calms first your soul, then your situation. Because he wants to speak to a heart that says, I trust you. I give it to you. I'm, all, I'm totally surrounded, but all of a sudden I'm at peace. And as I'm at peace, all of a sudden I begin to see the breakthrough happening in my situation. And I believe that, that Jesus calms the storm as first in the soul and the situation. And, and then when we look at John 16, 21, I love this. When it says they were glad to take him in, and it says, and immediately. Someone say immediately. Immediately the boat was at the land to where they were going. Again, get this. They're rowing for eight hours, no progress, stuck in the middle of the lake. What had been moments ago, eight hours of work and futility and frustration and wondering why that wasn't happening, why it wasn't going, why they weren't going to where God wanted to. In just a moment, it says immediately they were at the land. So they covered four miles immediately. They covered the whole rest of the distance What took them eight hours to do in the face of a storm, Jesus quieted the storm and did it immediately. And what took them all the rowing, all the effort, all the work, all the energy, it says Jesus did immediately. See, he gets in the boat and calms the storm and then does what they had to do for hours in just a moment. And that's because Jesus fulfills the promise with his power. Follow me here. This is important. As we say, that's impossible. How did the disciples travel four miles immediately? That must be a textual thing, and, you know, we need to go back to the text. And no, it, it says immediately. Another word for this is instantly. Immediately meaning like right away, not casually, not meanderingly. That's a word I made it up. Welcome, that's yours. It says immediately, immediately they were brought in to the promise that God had told them cross the lake. They had worked by themselves for eight hours. Jesus says, well, let me show you the difference of working alone and working with me, and we'll get there in eight seconds. Immediately, immediately they were brought about. And I think we said that's impossible. Yes, you're right, that's impossible without Christ. But with Christ, the impossible is possible. What takes us hours to do, he can do in an instant. 
That's why even, even those we were praying in our small group for those um, who need healing. And we go every week and we pray and we see some healings and we're still waiting on other healings. But we still keep praying because we believe that what we've been waiting and, and believing for hours, like God can do it in an instant. God can do it in a moment. God can do it in a second. God can move in, in, in just an instant. In your family that you've been trying to hold together for 12 years, God can unite in a moment by his power. Not by your power, not by your energy. You've been rowing. You've been doing good. He's not saying like work in vain. He's saying, hey, man, let me, let me, let me get in here and do some work. Let me get in here and move this thing. Let me get in here and bring you to the promise. The thing in your life, in your health, in your family, in your job, in your career. The things when, you, when Jesus comes in, it can happen in an instant. See, the years of destruction that have claimed your family for generations, through addiction and through different things, that you feel like, oh, I'm just always fighting. I'm always fighting this addiction. I'm always fighting these things. When am I going to be free of this? Can I tell you, when Jesus comes in with his power and he fulfills his promise, it happens instantly. And I say that because I read it and because I've seen it. That Jesus can do it immediately. See, I think we spend so much time and, and out of the goodness of our heart, maybe because you had a father that you had to prove your love to, that you got to keep rowing to like prove to Jesus that he can come to you. That you got to like keep working and that eventually if you've done enough work for no avail and you're just rowing long enough, like eventually he'll come to you. Like he's like, oh good, you've paid your penance for all those younger years sins and now I'm going to come to you and bring you this thing because you've proven to me. Can I tell you that this is not a proving ground for you and Jesus. It says they didn't call out to him. Jesus went to him to Went to them to be near to them. Jesus desires to be near to you. See, they were working for Christ. And Christ says, no, I want you to work with me. I, wanna, I want you to walk with me. I want you to row with me. Because I fulfill the promise. I, I sustain. It, it's by the power of Jesus Christ that it happens. So if you're in the middle of a storm, the first move shouldn't be get bigger oars, get a bigger boat, get more people. It should be get more Jesus into the boat. See, can I tell you, I got a dream for my life and for this church and for this city. I have a dream for, for even my family. But I want to work with the confidence of Jesus and pray with the confidence of Jesus. Because I don't want to just keep rowing for this church. Eight hours, 12 hours, 100 hours, 1,000 hours, 2,000 hours. I want Jesus to come in and do it immediately. Like I'm going to keep working because that's how he made me. And I'm going to keep fighting and straining because i go crazy if I didn't. But every day I'm going to invite Jesus. Every storm I'm going to invite Jesus. If I've learned anything from John 6, is that I'm not going to wait eight hours. I'm going to be like hour one, Jesus, he could see us anyways. Like, let's just call out. I know he's obviously not ignoring him. And so it's going back to the thing to say, God, I come before you because I know you quiet the storms. But I'm believing that you'll fulfill the promise by your power. What's taken generations, you can do immediately. And I stand upon that for this church, for your life, for the city. Because I believe and I've seen it that when Jesus encounters a situation, there is nothing that can keep him from it. And there's nothing that's bigger than him fixing it. And I believe you can do that. I want to invite the band up this morning. The reason that we do the This is Jesus series is, is very simply because we want to talk about who Jesus is. And because I believe that there's decision moments that happen in our life. 
what I love about Jesus is that when he draws near and you invite Jesus in, maybe for the first time you've never said, God, come dwell in my heart. I give you my life. Maybe you've never said that. Maybe you've said it before, but now it's like I've been rowing and rowing and rowing, and I feel like I'm so far out. I feel almost ashamed to ask now because, like, I should have it together. I'm that spiritual person everyone looks at, and, like, and so I should have it. No, you know, it's okay. You can just say, hey, Jesus, I need you in the boat. It doesn't matter who you are, what spectrum you're on. First time in the church, thousandth time in the church, you've ran a church, you've ran from the church. It doesn't matter where you live in this mode. What matters is that when you get Jesus in the boat, he calms the storm in your heart. He calms the storm in your situation, and he delivers the promise through his power. And if you feel this morning a little exhausted from trying to do it under your power, and you're saying, I could use more of the Lord's power, then there's going to be a moment where I'm just going to give you to, to invite God and say, God, I, I'm just giving you control, and I'm inviting you into my life, into the boat. And I'm saying, this is for you, by you, by your power. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to do two things. First thing, I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads with me. If you're in this church and maybe you've heard about Jesus, never heard about Jesus, and you're saying, you know what, I've, I've been rowing in life all by myself and been rowing in circles and I've been dragging behind me these buoys of sin and shame and all these things, and I want, I want to release that. I want to be free. I want to get Jesus in the boat and in my life. I desire him. I'm tired of falling after myself, going my own way, doing my own thing. And this morning, I just want to repent and I want to lay my heart down. And I'm going to say, Jesus, I need you in the boat. I want to walk with you. I want to walk my life with you through the freedom that comes from you, the life that comes from you, the hope that is in you, the eternal life that, that, that comes from you. God, I want to know that if I, if I, this was my last day on earth, that I would be with you for eternity in heaven. I want to know that for sure, that if I walked out of this building and these are my last moments, I, I want to be confident that I would spend eternity with you. So I hope not only for this life, but for forever. If that's you this morning and you've never invited Jesus in, I'm going to, just in a second, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. We're all going to pray it together. So you don't feel like you get isolated, but you're just going to repeat after me. If that's you this morning, I'm just going to invite you to, to pray this prayer with me. We're all going to pray it, but you're taking it to heart for the first time. If that's you and you're saying, I'm just going to invite Jesus into my life this morning for the very first time. Never been, I've never surrendered my heart, but this morning I don't want to walk out of this building without laying my life before him, without inviting him in. We're going to pray that together. So I'm just going to invite you to repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus. Let's say it a little louder. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Thank you for sending your son for me. I repent of everything. I lay my life before you. I invite you into my heart. I receive the love you have for me. the freedom that comes through Jesus. I give my life to you. Everything I am. The old is gone. The new has come. I'm a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, I want to do one thing this morning. 
we've started this in our church because I feel like sometimes we get a little ashamed about like raising our hands for what's like the coolest thing ever. But if you've ever raised your hand to accept Jesus Christ, would you just lift your hand this morning and say, I, I did this at one point. Like all the way up so everyone can see you. Amen. Good. You can lower them. This morning, I want to celebrate with you and have our team uh, encourage you this morning. So um, I'm going to encourage boldness here because we want to celebrate. If this is your first time, if you just gave your life to the Lord and you prayed that prayer, would you just quickly lift up your hand and we want to rejoice with you. And you can put it back down. Awesome. Thank you. Would you give it up this morning? Awesome. We're excited for you that you made that choice this morning. That's really big. I'm trying not to like point in the direction so you don't feel singled out, but just know we're excited and we want to pray with you and encourage you before you leave this morning. But the second thing I want to do is I know many of you guys are facing storms this morning and you're saying, I need Jesus in the boat. I need more of Jesus. I need him to come near the boat. I need to invite him and I need the presence of God right now. I'm going to do this this morning. I'm just going to invite you. If that's you, would you just lift up both your hands in a receiving posture? You're saying, I need Jesus in the midst of my storm. I need Jesus in my situation. I need Jesus in what I'm facing. And I'm going to pray for you. And the band's going to lead us in the song. They're going to declare this, raise a hallelujah song over you. And I just encourage you, just in this posture, the reason we raise hands at church, we need a culture of hand raisers. This church is to receive and say, God, I surrender it to you, and I receive what you're given. And so I'm going to pray for you this morning. God, you see every hand raised in this place that are saying, Jesus, I need you in the boat. I desire more of you in my life. I need you in my life. I need you right now to come near the boat, God, because I'm in the storm. I'm facing something that is so beyond me. And so, God, you see maybe my frustration. You see my discouragement. God, you see what I'm facing. And so you see me here at church this Sunday morning, and I'm just coming near you, and I'm saying, God, I need you to fill me. God, I need, you, I need your presence. God, I need your miraculous intervention. God, I need you to do the impossible in my situation. And so I just lift my hands and I pray that over uh, every person in this place that you would receive a fresh outpouring of the Spirit upon you this morning. That you would receive a fresh outpouring of the Spirit upon your life. We declare it in the name of Jesus over every life. Let's worship Him together this morning.